Beloved, let's make our way back to our seats, beloved. We're going to go ahead and lift up the name of Jesus. Again, I'm going to pray one last time and then we'll dive into the word. Mm. Father, um, wow. Lord, would you gift us? Would you gift us with your presence this morning? That's truly what we need. We need to experience you this morning, Lord Jesus. Father, Holy Spirit. And so I'm asking, I'm begging, I'm pleading that you, Lord, would visit this lowly place this morning with these lowly people. And that you would just reveal an iota, a, 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 a pinky finger amount of your presence to us this morning. We know, Lord, that you showed your back to Moses and his face shone and, glow, and glowed because of your presence. We know, Lord, in the Old Testament, you descended upon the mountain and the thunder rolled and the, the ground shook. And Lord Jesus, I pray that whether it be physical or spiritual, that you would shake us and that we would hear the thunderclaps of your presence in our soul that we would feel the very ground beneath us shaking because you have come near to us. Lord, what we need more than anything is to be just in your sight, to be declared righteous before you, to be clean before you. And we know that as long as we get close to you, there's a holy proximity by which our sin melts away, our unbelief melts away because we cannot deny him who has visited us. And then we read your word with hearty yeses and amens because the very God who inspired these words is the very God that visited us that fateful morning or that fateful evening. And so Lord, I'm praying that here and now that you would bless us with your presence. Show yourself strong and mighty. Have us to bow the knee to your lordship because you are worthy of all praise and glory. Lord, may you increase and may I decrease. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, Pillar Church. How y'all doing? We good? You here? Y'all made it. Go ahead and open up in your copy of God's Word to the book of Galatians. Uh, I am well aware that today is Palm Sunday. Um, but we are going to continue on in the book of Galatians this Sunday, uh, and, and we're going to be in Galatians chapter 3, and I want to give credit where it is due while you're turning there. Uh, credit to a uh, dear mentor of mine digitally, Tim Keller, who helped me greatly with this portion of the text, so I want to give him credit where it's due. We're in Galatians chapter 3, beloved, and I'm not going to give a whole overview of what we've been learning the past several months now. Uh, but what you've noticed is that I've been saying the same thing every week. Y'all notice that? That's because Paul's saying the same thing in each one of these verses and chapters. And it's amazing how it still doesn't get through all the time. And so this morning, we're going to continue on with Galatians chapter 3. If you don't have your copy of God's Word, you can follow along on the screen. This is what it says. It says, for all, verse 10, Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. 
for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Because it is written, anyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. Now it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. But the law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. Verse 12, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus so that we would receive the promised spirit through faith. It's the word of God. Did y'all notice how many times, we, got, we didn't just count these, how many times it said the word curse in there? Did y'all notice that? Let's see. Who relies on the works of the law are under a curse? How many? It's one. Everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. That's two. Now, it's clear that no one is justified by God, uh, no one is justified before God by the law because it's written the righteous will live by faith. But look at verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because it is written, cursed, is that how many is that? Five times it says curse. We got to pay attention to that word because it's there multiple times. What's the opposite of curse? Blessed. Blessing. What do you think this sermon is going to be about? Blessings and curses, right? <laughs> I wish it was always that simple. Beloved, blessing and curses is something called covenantal language. That's what blessings and curses is. So I need to get out of your mind what you learned from movies, what you learned from your family. Oh, God bless you, baby. No, that's not. I don't even know what that stuff means sometimes. But the words cursing and blesses are covenantal language. They're language that talk about relationship and, and agreement. And so we're gonna make, we're gonna, what we're going to do start off is, is by defining some terms so that we have a better understanding of what Paul is trying to say. Because his readers, his recipients, know what this covenantal language. But we don't, being in the time of an era of history in which we're in. So the first thing is this. This is what a covenant is. Covenant is an agreement or a relationship. Okay, agreement or relationship. That's, that's a simple way of putting what a covenant is, okay? And you, you have to remember this as we're reading these, okay? Secondly, curse. Curse means loss of relationship. That's what curse means, loss of relationship. You, if, you're, if you're taking notes, you can write these words next to that. Alone, abandoned, isolated. Okay, that's what curse means, that you are alone, you are abandoned, you are isolated. Curse means a loss of relationship. Okay? And then we can guess what blessing is. Blessing is the intimacy of relationship. Right? It's the benefits of relationship. You can write next to that the words accepted, unified, joy. Those are some synonyms for the word blessing, right? It's the intimacy of relationship. 
And then finally, one last word, the word law. Beloved, this is all that law means. A law is the terms of the agreement or the terms of the relationship. Okay, so covenant is an agreement or a relationship. Curse is a loss of that relationship. You're alone, you're abandoned, you're isolated. Blessings is the intimacy of relationship. You're accepted, you're unified, you're joyful. And law is simply this, the terms of the agreement or the terms of the relationship. Now let me ask you, what determines if someone receives blesses or curses in the text? Verse 11. Now it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. In this passage, what determines whether or not you receive curses or blessings? Don't say it out loud. It's the most important thing in human history in this text, in this verse. To be justified before God. Your position with God is what determines blessings or curses. Your proximity to God is what determines blessings or curses. To be justified before God is the single most important thing for everyone in this room. If you are not justified before God, you are in trouble with him. What does justified mean? It means being declared righteous or being made right with God. That is the single most important thing for all of you. If you leave here remembering nothing else, remember that you must be declared righteous before God. And of course, we'll get to the regular plain application of those things. But this is what you need, beloved. You don't need more money. You don't need more peace. You don't need your physical healing like you think. You, what you need before all those things, you don't need love and joy. You, know, no, you need justification. And once you're made right with God, those other things can thus be added to you on whatever portion God des- determines and desires. But no one can steal joy from a man or a woman who's justified. When you are trying to be pleasured, and to be made joyful through things that won't satisfy, your joy can be easily zapped from you. But when you remember your position with God, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus, no one can truly suck joy from you unless you forget the truth that you are made right before God. Let me go back to this last verse. This word here, before God, that we are justified before God. This word before is important in our understanding of of the passage. It's the idea of standing before God means that we are fully accepted by God. When you stand before somebody, the, the, the idea is that you are fully accepted by God, that there is no shame by being exposed. That word before means a relationship of utter transparency. It means that he sees me and I see him and we see all of each other. When you stand before God, he sees all of you and you see him. That's what the concept of before is. To be before somebody is to be known. And beloved, being known and being transparent is one of the hardest things for, for humanity to do. And I'm speaking by, from experience as somebody who notoriously hates to be known. 
I hate when people know me. It's like torture when someone understands the depths of my soul because I'm scared that they're going to reject me once they see the filth that's deep within there. The dirty thoughts that I have, that you have. Being known is scary because we come face to face with our shame and we wonder, will we be, will we be rejected or ill thought of if people know what's in there? All of us, all of you hide shameful things about you. All of you do. We say it's not their business. They don't need to know that about me. What's shame? Dictionary.com says this, and I loved it. The painful arising from the consciousness of something dishonorable, improper, or ridiculous, done by oneself or another. We've all felt that painful arising in our consciousness of something that was done to us that was dishonorable, of something that we partook of that was improper. We have that. We have shame. We are ashamed. We ask the question, what will they think of me if they knew? Beloved, the feeling of shame is not new to humanity. In fact, we find it in the very earliest pages of the scriptures in Genesis chapter 3. It says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And what did they do? They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now this is after they've already disobeyed God. They've done something improper and dishonorable. And what's their response? To hide. Is that not you and me? We hide it. Now, we don't, got, we don't hide behind trees necessarily, but we hide it by keeping it in the recesses of our brains and in our hearts, acting as if it doesn't impact us. But, beloved, it does. Everything you've ever experienced impacts you. Verse 9, it says, So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? Pause. We know God knows all things. That question is not for God. That question is for Adam. Where are you, Adam? What's going on with you, Adam? Why are you hiding, Adam? Verse 10, and he said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. Then he asked, who told you that you was naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man replied, the woman you gave me to be with me she gave me some fruit from the tree, and, and I ate. And so the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? And the woman said, well, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. True statements. But what we want to feel from this passage is two things. One is that shame will cause you to hide. And if you have been in this place looking for a people of God to be transparent with, first of all, recognize whether or not you have been transparent with the people of God around you. Has shame caused you to isolate yourself emotionally from the people around you? So you can be around people physically, that's cool, but you don't share your heart with them. How do I know you can do that? Because that's what I do. Me, that's what I do. The second thing I want you to see from this is that the devil knew that sin would produce that shame. And what shame does is it isolates us, men from men and men from God. Notice there that the, the two humans there are not unified. They're both ashamed. Well, she did it. Well, he did it. But also know whom they're hiding from. God. 
That's what shame does. Shame is the devil's chief weapon. Check this out. Shame is the devil's chief weapon of isolating a person in hopes of destroying them. That's what Satan wants to do to you. Use the shame of your past, the shame of what you did last night, the shame of, of how you feel internally, cause you to isolate yourself from everybody around you emotionally, mentally, and when you're alone, you're slim pickings, easy targets. But beloved, what's the opposite of shame? Approval, esteem, honor, acceptance. Shame makes you feel rejected, but the opposite of shame is approval and esteem and honor, and this is what we see from God. When we stand before God, we are fully accepted by God. We experience no shame. We have a relationship of utter transparency. This is why it's important to be justified by God. Because if you're justified, you can stand without shame. But if you're not, you are full of shame and you'll never stand before God. And you'll live dominated by rejection and fear and hiding. I'm talking to you because it's you, beloved, and me that do this. I don't know how many times I interact with people and I just want community and a little bit more digging. It's like, no, you don't. You don't want that because you're afraid of being transparent yourself. And if you're not transparent, the people around you won't be transparent. And the devil tends to break these people off from each other, from the people of God. And eventually they find themselves sliding away from the very God who they say redeemed their soul to begin with. Standing before God, justified, is important. It's everything. It's the greatest need of all of human history is to be justified by God. And once we are able to stand before God with no shame, with only approval, we can stand before anybody else with all of our past and history out there for everyone to see with no shame. Because the only one who matters has accepted me. I've been justified before God. What can anybody do to me? Look at this verse from Psalm 118. The Lord is for me. I will not be afraid. When you're justified before God, your past doesn't dictate or determine the level of transparency in which you share. You good with him. Now, beloved, there's nuance to this. That doesn't mean that every little thing that's ever happened to you in every single way needs to be put on Instagram, Facebook, shared with everybody you know all around you. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that what we've done is we turned the pendulum completely to the other side. And instead of sharing in a group of trusted confidants that we can share with the intimate just, just yearnings of our soul and the dirtiness of our lives with, we say, I ain't sharing with nobody, but I yearn community all at the same time. Devil got us all confused. You got us all confused. I want it. I don't want it. I don't know how deep I want it. How deep do I need it? I don't understand this. But if we understand this, the Lord is for me. I'm not afraid anymore. What can a mere mortal do to me? The Lord is my helper. Therefore, I will look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than the trust in humanity. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than the trust in nobles. Romans 8.31, after Paul gives this big expose on the concept of justification, this is what he says. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
What can anybody do, beloved? I want you to be free from sh this thing called shame. Be free from it. Standing flawed yet forgiven, bold and beautiful before God. Remember your position with God, beloved. If you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you're free from that. Don't forget it. It's when we forget that we get shame. When we get shame, we isolate. When we isolate, we are attacked. When we're attacked, we lose. But just remember who you are before God. The question is then, why don't we live with the boldness of being justified before God? Why don't we live that way? Why do we live in fear and timidity as the people of God? One is either we forgot who we were, or two, we're trying to be justified by a false means, and we're insecure in our false means of justification. That blasted curse we spoke of earlier in our message. Look at verse 10 of Galatians 3. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. You know what's crazy? Those of us who think that we can earn God's favor with our works, when you drill down, even you, you, you hear the insecurity in their voice. Well, I hope I've done enough. Even world religions that believe, well, you have to do in order to be accepted by God. You drill down long enough. It's a lot of this. Well, I hope I, maybe we don't have that in our vocabulary because it's not us. We don't do it. We didn't earn it. We know we can't. You, you run it on this treadmill thinking you're going to make it somewhere. You just staying right there, doc. We done got off the treadmill a long time ago and called a spade a spade. I'm a sinner in need of grace and favor and forgiveness. That's what you need, beloved. Get off the treadmill. You're wearing yourself out for no reason. It says, for all who rely on the works of the law, beloved, they're under a curse. They're cursed. Why? Because it's written, everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. It's a quote from Deuteronomy 27, 26. Now, I gave you all some definitions for some of this covenant language. Let's apply it. For all who rely on works of the law, all who rely on them fulfilling the terms of the agreement are under or are isolated from God. They're lost the relationship with God. Why? Because it is written, everyone who does not do everything according to the book in terms of agreements is separated by, from God. What is this saying? If you don't do every jot and tittle of the Mosaic law, then you are separated from God. Guess what? Have any of you accomplished all that has been written in the law of Moses? Beloved, you don't even know all that was written in the law of Moses. When we say the law, know what comes to y'all's mind? Ten Commandments. Nah, B. The law was given as a unit from Exodus 19 all the way to Exodus 24. There's over 600 laws, and they're repeated and expounded in Deuteronomy. Beloved, there's a lot of laws under the covenant of Moses. And he says, if you don't do every last one of them, you are under a curse. And you're only cursed if you're trusting in them. Let me make it real plain. Pity the man or pity the woman who tries to stand before God by keeping the law. Because if you broke one, you've broken them all. James says the same thing. He says, for whoever keeps the entire law and yet what stumbles, what does that indicate? Momentary. 
yet stumbles, didn't even all the way fall at one point, guilty of breaking it all. You mess up one time, it's a wrap for you. Curtains. Why? You ever wonder what the justification of that was? The next verse tells us. Verse 11. For he who said, that's the most important part. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, commit adultery, also said, do not murder. What's he saying? He's saying that you've transgressed the lawgiver. It doesn't matter what you've done. You've done something against the one who's given all of the laws. It doesn't matter which you've broken. You've transgressed him. And you get the consequence of transgressing him, despite what it is that you may have done. So if you do not commit adultery but murder, you're what? You are now classified as a lawbreaker because you transgressed him. Beloved, the false teachers in Galatia were trying to, to convince the believers that they must keep God's law in order to be justified before God. But we know that that's a fool's errand. And these individuals are under a curse who are thinking that they can be justified by keeping any of the law that Moses prescribed. Beloved, we're going to learn in a few weeks that the law was not bad. The law is not horrible. The law is a glorious reflection of the perfection of God. But we are not perfect. Born in iniquity, born in sin. I sinned at one day. As soon as I came out, I was a selfish wretch. I wanted whatever I wanted right now. Ain't, things ain't changed, Doc. I'm still a selfish wretch, and so are you. And we try to appease God by running on this treadmill of obeying the law, even though we keep breaking them every single day, every month, every week. Beloved, you're a lawbreaker. And you're under the curse of running a rat race, thinking you can be justified by something you do. Nothing you do is enough to satisfy the wrath of God for breaking his law. Nothing you do. Nothing you do. If you think that you can satisfy God with what you do, you're under a curse too. Every relationship has terms and agreements that enable the relationship to flourish. Just, and that's the, that's the language being spoken of here. Every covenant has laws that enable the two individuals who made that covenant to flourish. Let me give you an example. My grandma. I love my grandmother, and my grandmother loves me. Who, don't raise your hand, but who got a beloved grandma that you just love? You, you, okay, you raise your hand, cool. <laughs> Told you not to raise your hand, man. My grandmother established the terms that enabled our relationship to flourish. The laws of grandma's house. Maybe you can empathize with some of the laws of grandma's house. Let me give you some of mine. Don't be coming to my house talking loud. If I transgress the law, I transgress the lawgiver. Better take my shoes off while I come in that house. Stay up out of grown folk business. You better eat all the food up off that plate. Keep your dirty feet up off my furniture. Anybody got these, got these laws? Seems like there's some common law going around here from grandma's house, right? The last one was maybe not just unique to mine, but it certainly was, especially with my father's side, that, that grandma. You better not be afraid of nobody. Boy, I got stories of coming home from the park crying. Who bullied you? Who do you think the boy did it? Come on, because if you don't whoop him, I'm going to whoop you. 
right, you go down there and get whooped up twice. <laughs> what happened if I broke grandma's terms and in, 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 in agreements, man? The curse is on me, curse is on you. Y'all know what it is. This is what it is. In order to function in a healthy relationship with grandma, I had to come in that house knowing my position with grandma. I'm the child, stay up out of grown folk business. Don't come in my house talking loud. I could be on the phone with somebody or watching my shows. Better eat up all that food. It costs a lot of money to get that food. Kick them stank feet from the park up off my furniture. Y'all understand what she's saying. In order to have a good relationship with grandma, I had to abide by these rules. But it wasn't a one-way covenant. My grandmother trained me, taught me, fed me, loved me, cared for me, protected me. She loved me. She upheld her end. I fell short on mine. And when I fell short, there were times where I received the punishment of a loss of a healthy relationship with my grandmother. Have you ever had that loved one just stop talking to you? turn their back on you. I remember for some people in my family, uh, it, it's worse. You know, some people, some people grew up this way. Your grandmother said, what you want? You want your punishment now? Or you want to get spanked now? Or you want to go to your room? And some people be like, Man, I'd rather just take the spanking because they can't, they, can't, they can't stand the isolation from the loved one. You may, maybe some of y'all got nieces and nephews or kids that operate that way. It's, they can take the spanking and they want the hug after, but when you tell them and you dismiss them from your presence, that hurts. That's deeper for, some, for, for most kids. I, my, some of my kids are that way. If I say, get out of my face, I can't look at you right now. It's not because I said it harshly. It's because they, they think I don't want them anymore. I've been cut off from them. They've been cut off from me. The relationship has been severed. To them, that's curses. And that's what it's like before God. Sometimes it's like, give me the punishment. Just don't leave me, Lord. I don't want you to leave me, God. That's worse than, than the spank. What it is I needed from my grandmother is the same thing that we need from God. We need grace. Look at the passage. It says, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse because it is written, everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. Verse 11, now it is clear that the one who is justified before God by the, I'm sorry, it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. But look at verse 12. But the law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. That means if you live by the sword, you die by the sword. But then look at the next verse, verse 13. There it is. Oh, go back. Verse 13. Here's the grace that God gives us in verse 13 of our text. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Stop right there, beloved. You didn't keep grandma's rules, but didn't she come give you a hug a few minutes later? What did you receive? The grace of your loved one. Didn't mean you were perfect, and then she said that. Remember I said this last week. We don't put that on. We, don't, we would never make a kid earn our love and then make them maintain it. We would call that cruel and unusual punishment, beloved. God knows we can't keep his law. And it's not, it's not our, we're not able to maintain our, 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 our keeping of law or our relationship with him. It's all of grace. It's all his doing, all his initiative. That's why the scripture says he's the author and the finisher, the initiator and the one who brings to completion our relationship and faith with him. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, from this idea that we have to be 
perfect. Why? What did he do? He became the curse for us. Beloved, I did a lot of looking at this verse because a lot of people say, well, he couldn't become a curse. This is legal language. This is legal language. He legally became the curse for us. Because it is written, cursed is anyone who is hung on a tree. Beloved, the beauty of the gospel is that we can stand before God with no shame, no hiding, no isolation. We can say, yes, we have broken the terms of the agreement. We can say, yes, we've transgressed a holy God. But love compelled God to send his son Jesus to absorb God's wrath by becoming a curse for all who would turn from their sin and trust in him. Beloved, this is such beautiful words in verse 13. It tells us that we can have salvation and freedom from the concept of shame and, and, and fear because Christ redeemed us from the very thing we couldn't do, that we were ashamed that we couldn't do, and so we hid that we couldn't do. That means all of us can stop relying on terms of the law to be justified before God. Now, that doesn't mean you can live buck wow. We're going to get to that later. It doesn't mean we don't uphold the law or like the law or even lift up some of the law. No, it means that it's no longer the means by which we are justified before God. He took that burden off of us. It's funny. Uh, I've done some work with juveniles and juvenile detention centers, and they tell me about their relationship with their aunts and uncles and their grandmas and grandpas because oftentimes their relationship with their parents is not healthy. And you know what's funny? Their grandmas always say how sweet that boy or that girl is. And you always know, what I, and I talk to that boy or that girl, I'm like, why was it that you act different with your grandma than you did with your parents? You know what they, you know what they always say? My grandmama just loved me. It changed my behavior because I knew before grandma's eyes, I was good. Nothing I could do could make her reject me. And so I wasn't going to give grandma no smoke. And beloved, there's nothing you can do if you put your trust in Jesus to make God reject you. Because Christ redeemed you, not you redeemed you. Beloved, your position modifies your behavior. I know I'm good with grandma. I'm going to act like it. I'm going to do whatever grandma needs. I got it. No questions, because she loves me. It's not I'm going to do it so she loves me. It's she loves me, so I'm going to do it. You see the difference? Everyone who leans by faith, And everyone by faith who leans on the grace of God to entrust their standing before God to the work of Jesus and his work on the cross will be redeemed and saved from that very thing. He became a curse for those who believe. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Let me explain that real quick. In the ancient world, there was sometimes in the ancient world, when someone transgressed the covenant, what they would do is they would stone that person or execute that person, and then they would hang the body of that person on a tree. That's what they would do. Matter of fact, in the scriptures, it was, a, it was a form of punishment and public shaming. Look what it says in Deuteronomy 21. If anyone is found guilty of an offense deserving the death penalty, I'm sorry, if anyone is guilty of an offense deserving the death penalty and is executed, and you hang, on, hang his body on a tree, it's assuming this is what you do, uh, you are not to leave his corpse on the tree overnight but to bury him that day. For anyone, who hung, anyone hung on a tree is under God's curse. If anyone is found guilty of an offense. Beloved, this text is being used in reference of Jesus. Was he guilty of any offense? Not one. 
and yet he was yet he received the curse of being hung on a tree as a, as a form of punishment and shame for somebody because it wasn't him. Beloved, this text belongs to us. When we transgress the covenant, beloved, we're the ones who are supposed to be executed and hung upon the tree. The text is for us. Jesus comes and rescues us from the consequences of the text. He says that he became a curse for us by being hung upon a tree. Remember what curse means? Loss of relationship, alone, abandoned, beloved. These are things that we no longer have to experience because Jesus experienced the curse of abandonment, isolation, and being alone in his body. And we've all read of when that curse seemingly occurred for him. Matthew 27. Remember, curse of the lost relationship. Look at Matthew 27. After crucifying Jesus, they divided his clothes by casting lots. Then they sat down and were guarding him there. Above his head, they put up the charge against him in writing. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Beloved, that's mockery. They're mocking him. They're shaming him. Verse 38. Then the two criminals who were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left, those who passed by were yelling insults at him and shaking their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come up off that cross, mocking him. In the same way, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, what they do? Mocked him and said, he saved others, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come off the cross, and then we'll believe him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he takes pleasure in him. For he said, I'm the son of God. Right there, mocking him. What do you think, what do you think feeling is happening right now? Something indecent and unjust is happening to you. What's that the definition of? Shame. Verse 44, in the same way, even the criminals who were crucified with him taunted him from noon until three. In the afternoon, darkness came over the whole land. And in about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which is, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? What's the curse? Loss of relationship. You have been abandoned. What did the text say? Jesus became a curse for us. Beloved, we never experienced the abandonment of God because Jesus experienced it for us. And he experienced it being the only one who has ever actually kept God's laws. Similar to 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us. Beloved, again, it doesn't mean that he became a sinner on the cross. He wasn't cursing anybody out. He legally replaced the consequences of it for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become what he was the righteousness of God. 
I got no shame because I'm the righteousness of God. I don't care what you think about me. I'm the righteousness of God. I'm going to stand on the word every day, no matter what the culture says. Why? I'm the righteousness of God. It's when we forget that that we close our mouths and be quiet and don't create the culture in which this world needs to live in. Be scared of nobody, beloved. Grandmama's rules was right. Don't let nobody bully you. Not because for her, it's because you're my baby. God's like, no, you're my baby. That's why you, nobody, can, nobody can stand before you. In the ancient world, the cross was a symbol of shame. The cross was the death penalty. It was a torture device. It was a guillotine. The cross meant you lost in the ancient world. Crucifixions was normal back then. They did this. It means you lost. It means you were conquered. But now in the person of Christ, and you see how he's flipping things? Curse him. No, not curses for us. He took that. Sin for us? No. He took that. He took this device, which was a symbol of torture, and turned it into a symbol of freedom. That's what Jesus did on the cross. It's a symbol of life and hope and redemption and victory. And it's a symbol of acceptance now. The cross went from a curse to a blessing. You see how he flips the script? What happened on that cross 2,000 years ago is the means by which we can attain the blessings that Paul says that we need, not the curse. It's because of the cross that we get those blessings now, beloved. What's blessing? Remember, it's because of the cross that we have intimacy and relationship with God. We are no longer separated from God because of our sin, but Jesus became sin so that we could become righteousness. So now we can approach God with boldness at any moment of the day, spontaneous or planned. We can come before the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings because we are his beloved children whom he's adopted and he's made right by grace through faith. We are good with him now if we put our trust in Jesus. But if you don't, you're not good. If you're trusting in the works of your abilities to keep the law, you are not good. If you haven't put your faith in the one who took our sin and the curse for you, the curse is still on you. It's there. The purpose, Galatians 3.14, as we continue in the text, the purpose was that the blessings of Abraham, which we talked about last week, would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus so that we, collectively, could receive the promised spirit through faith. We can now stand before God and anyone else free from the bondage of shame, free from worry, free from condemnation that comes as a result of our sin. By faith, we went from cursed to blessed. Now this is our war cry from Romans chapter 8. Therefore, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How does that set you free? Why? Because the law of the spirit of life life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. That's what that Mosaic covenant did. It promised sin and death because no one could accomplish it. But Christ has set us free from it. For what the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, who did it? God did it. Beloved, if you have not placed your faith in Christ, I fear for you. And I'm begging you, please, to humble yourself, repent of your sin, and follow Jesus. Because this curse is realer than you know. Isolation from God is the last thing you want, beloved. We think of hell as flames 
Beloved, it's the absence of the presence of God. We don't even know what that's like. It's like we don't know what it's like to live in a, in, in a world with no air. We don't even know what that's like, but imagine if air was just taken from you. <laughs> what goes through your mind but torment and torture and, f- and fear and trembling? You don't want that. And you don't have to have that because Jesus has promised freedom. He's promised blessing for all who trust in him. He's promised relationship with you and God. Turn from your law doing. Turn from your fake faith. Confess that you are broken, jacked up, and need a lot of help. And let the Spirit of God help you. Let him save you from your sin. Let him save you from the lies of Satan. And beloved, let him save you from yourself. Be free because of the blood of Christ. Lord, thank you so much for this word in the book of Galatians. Thank you for the book of Galatians. And as we continue to walk through this this book, I'm convinced, Lord, that you say the same thing over and over. Every, Every couple of chapters, you're saying the same thing because we don't get it. Like telling my child to eat over her plate every day. Lord, we hear it, but we don't, we don't get it. We don't get it, Lord. And, and, I, and I'm, I'm thankful that you're willing to tell me over and over again, son, my son, remember who you are in me. Remember who you are in me. Remember what I've done, not by your works, not by your strength, but by my spirit. Not by your abilities, not by your weight, not by the sound of your voice, not by how much you can lift, not by how fast you can run, not by how many people you pray for, not for how many chapters I've read, but because I've loved you, you are justified. Because I've sent my son, you are justified. Because you placed your faith in him and him alone, you are justified. And now you are free to do all that you want to do for me, all that you desire to do for me. But we do it because you've been justified. And so, Father, I'm asking that you would fill us with your spirit in this place. Draw us near to you. And remind us of who you are and what you've done and our position in you. Lord, we give you all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.